This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov and Tuba'av Sameach. Yes. It's important to celebrate Tuba'av, especially after um, the heavy conversations that we've been having in recent days and all that we've been going through. It's nice to have a slightly uh, light-hearted kind of minor festival to be able to celebrate Tuba'av, of course, falling on the 15th day of the month of Av, and therein lies the name Tuba'av, because the letters Tetvav represent the number 15 in Hebrew, Tetvav, also pronounced Tu, so we have Tuba'av, which is, of course, the Jewish festival of love. And apparently it all comes from the Mishnah when um, this was the day upon which the grape harvest began, and it was also the day uh, on which the unmarried girls of Jerusalem apparently dressed in their white garments and went out to dance in the vineyards. Uh, I'm not sure what their intentions might have been out in the vineyards, but today we <laughs> well, consider it well, I think to there be was wine involved if it's the vineyards. Uh, but, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. So hopefully everybody will take the opportunity um, to do something with a little bit of love today on Tubav, the, the Jewish festival of love. And, of course, it coincides with a very rare event, which is a blue moon. Um, I don't know if you guys know what the concept of a blue moon is, but yeah. I'll put it out there. Maybe yeah. we'll talk a little bit about it later because it's completely unrelated. But we do have um, a very, very unbelievably full moon that was in the sky last night. And this is going to be apparently the last blue moon for quite some time. So also quite a significant event. All right. Uh, that, and if you do know what a blue moon is or where it comes from, let me know because I don't. 34519 or 0618951019. Six people were injured in a shooting attack uh, in the Israeli city of Malé Adumim yesterday. So uh, what is known about this attack? Um, so first of all, um, let's talk a little bit about the event itself. We just understand that um, this happened in a shopping mall area. Uh, an individual was there and simply began shooting at people who were passing by using a handgun. Um, one guy reported, one guy who's a barber in the mall reported hearing a shooting. He told, he said that he had in his barber chair coincidentally, a border police officer. And this client ran out of the barber shop together with the barber when they heard the shooting. They saw the shooter, but didn't realize that he was the shooter um, because he was just kind of standing there and they didn't suspect that that was him. And then people around started pointing towards the guy who they just run past a moment before and um, then apparently the shooter began shooting again and he hit the barber in the hand, shot him in the, in the arm. And that was the moment at which this border police client who happened to be in the barber shop took out his weapon and, um, as 
they say in the press, neutralized the mm. terrorist, mm. which means he was killed on site. He, he was literally shot and killed in that moment. There were already six people injured, some of whom quite seriously injured, taken to hospitals and treated. We understand that the terrorist was a Palestinian who had a permit to work in Ma'aleodomim, that he worked as a cleaner at a community center in the city, and he was there perfectly legally, had no issues at all. I understand from this morning's news that the security establishment are trying to understand how it turned out that he was given a permit to work in Ma'aleodomim. And herein lies the dilemma that our security establishment has to face. On the one hand, we do wish to enable people to work in our towns and cities. We need the workers. They need the income. It's nice to provide an economic flow of funds between Israel and the Palestinian Authority area. We do want to encourage people to work and to be self-sufficient. However, there is clearly a risk involved in allowing anybody to come in and work because they might have ulterior motives. And this guy... Um, was not even on the radar, apparently. He didn't seem to be affiliated to any of the uh, main groups that we know about, uh, the main terrorist groups, although Hamas have sort of claimed him as one of theirs. But that seems to be more after the fact than somebody who was actually sent Mm, out by Hamas mm. with the intention of carrying out this crime. So once again, um, some food for thought for for our security establishment And again, we need to reconsider how we manage the balance between promoting economic coexistence between Israel and the Palestinian Authority and keeping the relevant level of security and protection that's required. So not allowing people who might have some questionable objectives um, to to work in our towns and cities to have to free them uh, to move around. Ma'alea Dumim, of course, a city on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's located approximately seven kilometers east of Jerusalem in the direction of the Red Sea, of the Dead Sea, I'm sorry. And um, the name Adumim, of course, um, goes back to biblical days, um, even though Ma'ale Adumim as a city was only really established after the Six-Day War when the territory was taken from Jordanian hands as part of the Six-Day War. Controversial because it does exist beyond the green line in the so-called West Bank. Um, and therein lies some of the, the controversy. Uh, the city, I think, has approximately 40,000 inhabitants, was established to try and relieve pressure on Jerusalem because of the fact that there seemed to be so little housing, uh, new housing um, opportunities in Jerusalem. And, and Maalai Min was established just on the outskirts of Jerusalem to try to relieve that a little bit, to encourage people to live out there slightly cheaper, but still quite near to Jerusalem on highway number one, so quite accessible. The uh, irony is that now Malia Dumim has run out of space and they are not authorizing additional land for construction. And so the city that was constructed to help relieve the pressure on housing now has its own pressure on housing because there is very little new land available um, for the construction of, of new property. So um, that's just a little bit of the mm, background mm. relevance of Malia Dumim. 
Interesting. And uh, Mavis says a blue moon is when uh, two full moons occur in the same month. So there'll be another full moon at the end of uh, August. And uh, yeah, so uh, and unsigned as well. A blue moon means we'll be having a full moon twice this month. Yesterday was the first of the month and we'll have another full moon at the end. So that is a great explanation. Thank you. I appreciate it. And now I have learned something. The Israeli High Court has decided that for the first time in its history, the full bench of 15 judges will sit to consider petition against the cancellation of the reasonableness standard. So uh, this is this is going to be quite the event, isn't it? This is going to be a huge event, and the hearing is set for September the 12th, and it's sort of a continuation, I guess, of Absolutely. the conversation, mm. Howard, that we've mm. been having over the last couple of days. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure whether I've managed to achieve over the last couple of days what I'd hoped to achieve, which is just to allow people to understand a little bit more why this issue is so taken seriously in Israel and why these protests are going on. And again, I'm not expecting people necessarily to agree. And, and we did have a very interesting discussion yesterday about um, the language that I was using relative to um, some of the um, wishes of the ultra-Orthodox community and the, and the words that you picked out of mine, I think, which were very relevant, was imposed upon, I think you mentioned, that all laws are to some degree an imposition. And to be fair, I've had to think about that. And I'm not sure that I entirely agree with you because the one example that I sort of pulled out was the U.S. Second Amendment, which um, which guarantees the freedom to bear arms. Now, is that considered to be an imposition or is that considered to be a guarantee of freedom? Some people might say, well, it imposes upon us a relatively unsafe environment, which we don't like, or a feeling of being unsafe because people are bearing arms. But I think the intention of that Second Amendment, and indeed some other laws which guarantee freedoms, is not to impose, but rather to guarantee the right of people to do um, to freely have the right to do things. Uh, and while I do agree that many laws are an imposition, and I did use the word imposition because. Um, I think that where the Haredi community are concerned, the ultra-Orthodox community, a lot of what they are seeking is a limitation rather than a guarantee of freedom. They wish to limit how things are done, whether it's limitations according to Jewish law or whether it's limitations according to the way that their, their traditions are set. So um, I think that um, my words might have been a little discriminatory, and I accept responsibility for that. Um, but I think that that is the general feeling. I mm. think that the way the way no, that I, I expressed I, I, it. Well, is, I think that was that was the point that I was actually making. Is not about. Mm. Uh, it was more about the fact that the way in you know that that although we're talking about it as though it's judicial reform, I think in many ways it goes a lot deeper, and that it's really about the notion of who gets to decide about. Uh, certain aspects of Israel, at, particularly as it pertains to levels of religiosity and observance. And I, I think that was, that was sort of what I took out of it, which I think was your point, is to show that it isn't simply about judicial reform. It's, a, it's about a lot more. And what I'm seeing that it's about yes. is actually about the the nature of how Jewish of, a state Israel is. Correct. Where, where, where I think are that's those, the point. You know, where, where are those limits? And now we're going to I have... I think that's the point. And now we're going to have a bench of 15 members of the Supreme Court. We, got, we are. This is really about the nature of the Jewish state and how far we wish 
to say that we are going to be Jewish um, to a certain extent or another and potentially exclude people who consider themselves Jewish but don't necessarily subscribe to those ways of doing things. And that's really what the Supreme Court is going to be sitting about, all 15 members of the Supreme Court. When we look at the makeup of the Supreme Court, it's quite a fascinating um, exercise because um, we have uh, the Judge President Esther Chayut, um, a lady who heads the, who is the President of the Supreme Court. We also have an Arab member, of the, the High Court of Justice among the 15, Khaled Kaboub. He's been on the High Court um, since last year, and, and he continues to serve, uh, not the first uh, Arab member of the High Court, but certainly um, a current one. We also have amongst the 15 judges, six in all who are women, and we have two that I know of who mm. come from a modern Orthodox background in the form of uh, Yael Wilner and in the form of David Mintz. David Mintz, interestingly, was born in the UK. And I think that he actually even studied to be a rabbi at one point. I'm not quite sure if he got his smicha as a rabbi or not, um, but he certainly has um, a, 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 a doctorate in law and he's been so he's been on a judge on the Supreme Court since 2017. So the all 15 members of the High Court of Justice will sit on this case about cancelling the reasonableness standard. And a number of different NGOs have petitioned uh, the High Court on this on this matter. Um, the, the, the people who have petitioned the court include the Israeli Bar Association, quite interestingly, um, an organization called Smoke Free Israel, also the Movement for Quality Government, one quite well-known uh, NGO in Israel, and uh, the, an organization called Ometz, uh, which means uh, bravery, to be, to be brave, uh, uh, boldness. Um, and they feel that the cancellation of the reasonableness standard is unconstitutional and potentially even procedurally faulty. So they're even looking at the procedure in the Knesset that when was... Uh, was Sorry, Anthony, was can they use the to, word, can they use unconstitutional in the absence of a constitution? Well, that's, that's a good question, and I do want to talk about this constitutional issue for a moment. Um, but before we get on to the constitutional issue, I think that um, the interesting thing is that they're talking about um, even some of the procedures that were followed in the Knesset that were potentially not followed correctly, and therefore they're uh, challenging whether this law might be valid. But I think one of the important things for us to understand is that the cancellation of the reasonableness standard is really all about decisions which are made by government, by the cabinet, and by government officials, rather than specifically by the Knesset. I'd also like to mention that the Supreme Court has never before set aside any change made to Israel's basic law. There has never been a case when the Supreme Court before has set aside a change to the basic law, and this could potentially be the first time. But when you mention the issue of the Constitution, I think that this is really the crux of the matter. If Israel had a Constitution, I don't think that we would be going through these machinations right now at all. I think that a Constitution would have taken care of all of this. And the reason that I think that a Constitution would have taken care of this is because a Constitution can't be changed with a simple majority. It requires more, it requires a supermajority 
to be changed as a general rule. And that supermajority is extremely difficult to obtain in the Israeli context of things. If you remember back a few days ago when I spoke about the demographic mm-hmm. makeup and how we've got a series of minority groups rather than the majority, it would require a massive effort to bring all of those minority groups together to obtain a supermajority in order to change the constitution. And I think we really need something like that. The problem is that in order to get to the situation where you want to entrench something as firmly as a constitution, you need to come to some form of consensus somewhere along the way. And unfortunately, that consensus in our society Ooh, is so far imagine? away yeah, yeah. That, that that's the reason why we don't have a constitution, because we couldn't get two Jews to agree to one thing. And that's the reason why we are today without a constitution and why we're also quite unlikely to see a constitution in the near in the near future, but really a constitution is the thing that we are missing the most. The 12th of September, 15 uh, judges on the High Court will sit to consider this matter. It's not going to be simple, but it's certainly going to be interesting. It certainly will be. With that, we leave it. It is 8 o'clock. Anthony Rauch, thank you as always. We'll catch Anthony tomorrow morning with the Israel Report at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Dot com.